Hi everyone, Haley Lucas here, COO at Female Footballers, and I'm excited to share with you a recent conversation I had with Stephanie Baron Hall, who is a speaker, certified Enneagram coach, and author. We dive deeper into the Enneagram, which is a personality assessment framework that focuses on your motivation rather than your behaviors to help you learn more about yourself, raise your self-awareness, and it is an awesome self-reflective tool. Steph founded her Instagram page at Nine Types Co. in 2017 as a way to explore her own interest in the Enneagram, and it has since grown into a community of people who are learning about the Enneagram themselves and their relationships together. Stephanie specializes in bringing clarity to complex concepts and communicating the Enneagram in a way that is relatable and concise so that it can be transformative for all. This is a great conversation for players, especially older players, coaches, and parents to listen to because it offers a unique tool that isn't really being talked about in sports, but can really help players and people in general learn more about themselves as athletes and as people. I've used this tool. Um, it's been very helpful for me in my athletic journey, as well as just my life in general. And it kind of helps you better understand yourself, as well as communication and the different personalities of people around you to best work in team environments, whether that's on a sports team, on a business team, or just those that you're around all the time. You can find more about Steph and the work that she does at Nine Types Co. on Instagram or on her website, which is ninetypes.co. We'll put some links in the show notes, and we look forward for you to listen to this conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. Today, I am joined by Steph Baron hall um, who is a certified Enneagram coach. And today, we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, what that is, and how it relates to sport. So hi, Steph. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So what we do at Female Footballers is a lot related to the mental side of the game and increasing self-awareness. And the Enneagram can be a tool to help with that and kind of identify um, more about your personality and maybe how that can be used in different applications. So kind of to start for those who may be unfamiliar, what is the Enneagram? Yeah. So the Enneagram is a personality framework that's really the best language that we have to talk about it, though I would argue it's not necessarily about personality, um, but it's oriented around nine core types. So when we think about the different types, each of them has a specific core motivation. And what makes this distinct from a lot of the other systems that we might come across is a lot of them are about behavior. So you know, how do you behave in these different environments? But the Enneagram is about what's driving you, what's beneath the behavior, what is, you know, that, that core driving why. And so as we think about that, it's really connected to a lot of these other things, like these other impacts, like self-awareness. <clears throat> so sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> um, about self-awareness, about connection with other people, about community, about compassion, about empathy, all these different things that we can learn and grow from the Enneagram and, and really our studies of the Enneagram. Awesome. When did you first become interested in the Enneagram? Well, I'll have to say I'm, I've always been interested in personality frameworks. So that's just something that has always piqued my curiosity. Even when I was a kid, I was just fascinated by them. So I went to undergrad for psychology and then I really wanted to use 
personality tools in the workplace. And that was always kind of a driving force for me. So I had used some other tools, but in maybe 2015 or so is when I, I first heard about the Enneagram. Um, my husband actually <laughs> heard it on the podcast and was like, oh, check this out. And I was like, he, and he showed me his results, you know, and I was like, sounds about right. But then I went back to the other systems that I was using at the time. Um, but of course, soon thereafter, my sister, my older sister was like, Hey, you should check this out. So I did. And here we are. Very cool. And so just to give people a little context, how do you use the Enneagram in a business application or working with teams? Yeah. So I find it really useful for teams in the sense that, we all have these ways of communicating. We all have our own motivation. That's one of the basic assumptions of the Enneagram. And what I see so often is that we're applying our behavior or, or our motivation to other people's behavior. So for example, if you're the type of person who, you know, gets really angry when you're or gets really quiet when you're angry, for example, then you might see somebody else getting quiet and you might think, oh, they must be angry when in reality, there could be a million other things happening with that person. And I find it just really helps depersonalize some of those things and helps us to get really curious to see behind the scenes, you know, what might be happening for that person. So I think that can be a really useful application. And I find that it really helps teams both with professional development, like it helps all the employees, it helps the team work together better, but also personal development. I have a lot of my clients, especially when I do multiple sessions with them, they'll be like, oh, I went home and I told this um, part about myself to my spouse. And my spouse is like, yeah, you do actually do that. <laughs> you know, so being able to to take that in to the home setting, I think is helpful because I just find the holistic, like the whole person approach to working with teams is the most effective and has the best sustainable impact. Totally. And it's funny you bring that up because our whole thing is like whole player development. So a lot of the times we see, we work specifically with female soccer players and we see them always focusing on the physical and the tactical side of the game. Like that's where the parents are putting money into the private trainings, but the mental side of the game totally gets left behind and not really working on these kind of interpersonal skills or how to work best with teammates. So kind of shifting now to sport is the application to the sports environment different for, for the Enneagram? I think there are a lot of similarities um, with the team, but I think what's really important to note about this entire topic is this thought process around interpersonal communication and intrapersonal communication. So there are some really interesting studies about how intrapersonal, meaning within the person, communication exists. And we hear that all the time in our society, right? We talk about the inner critic. We talk about, you know, having different types of self-talk, whether that's positive or negative. But one thing that the Enneagram can really help with is improving that sense of an inner critic. I would venture to guess that most of the people that you work with have a strong inner critic. I think, especially when you have people who are performing at a high level, that's pretty typical. Personally, as a coach, I have only met a couple people who, when I ask if you, you know, how self-critical are you that they say, oh, not at all. Most people have at least some degree of self-criticism. So helping people work with that sense of intrapersonal communication, like what's happening inside their heads, that's, I think like half the battle. And 
and and then venturing from there out into you know developing their own internal environment and then helping them to develop a more positive team environment as well. And so if young girls wanted to use the Enneagram, where would you kind of twofold, where would you direct them? And is there a general age group that you think would benefit from starting the Enneagram? Yeah. You know, I think that starting a little bit later, like late teens into high school is probably most useful. The way that our brains develop, you know, it, it, we're not like fully formed basically before 25. Right. So, um, I am always wary to venture into typing, you know, kids or things like that, because I think what can end up happening is that you just assign them a type and then that you form them into that type and they don't have that space to explore and it can be really limiting. But I think people who are a little bit older, who have that sense of maturity and a sense of self are maybe more able to to investigate the Enneagram and understand it for themselves. So to begin, I really, I love, I I mean, I used to always be like, don't take an Enneagram test. But these days I actually find that to be useful because I think most of us just aren't really good at looking at motivation. Like we're not good at saying, this is what is motivating me. This is what's driving me. We're a lot better at understanding our behavior or, um, even, and I'm curious how, how you learned your type, because I know that, that you do know your Enneagram type. Um, but I, I think a lot of us see ourselves more so in the negative parts of the description versus the positive. And so I always recommend start with a a test, but hold your results loosely and then take it from there. So read more about the Enneagram online. Um, generally for that, I recommend something like a book rather than Instagram, because a lot of the time those descriptions can be more shallow and they might not get to the heart of the matter. Um, but yeah, those would be some suggestions. And then since you're already here listening to a podcast, go search for Enneagram, you know, two interviews or whatever, um, in your podcast app and listen to those people and see what resonates for you. Totally. Um, just to answer your question. Uh, so, you know, I was in college and I was taking a business ethics class and my professor was, I would say, unique from most business professors in that we meditated at the beginning of every um, class. And a big part of our curriculum was reading multiple Enneagram books and having to write essays about our type and kind of like what you were saying and how to best communicate with others in the workplace and figure out more about yourself. And I think that was the most important part that I took away from it was it was a great self-reflective tool. Um, And it did tell me more about my motivation with what we do um, at Female Footballers. A lot of it is kind of identifying what motivates you. Mm -hmm. Is it internal or is it um, external? And it's okay for it to be internal or external because especially in soccer um, and sports in general, a lot of it is winning matches and that's not something that's inside of you, but other people are doing it for their own personal growth. Um, and I'm a type one, which I think is definitely falls into that very self-critical um, bucket, which is uh, can be difficult at times, but also pushes me. And so that kind of goes into what you were talking about with like the self-compassion versus um, pushing yourself to the limits. And how do you find that balance? Yeah, I I love this question. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. I grew up in sports as well. My older sister played soccer. I played basketball and and we were both on travel teams. So we spent a lot of time um, playing our sports. 
And it's funny now because I had, I wouldn't say such a negative experience. I loved my sports, but I did have, um, a, a coach that was pretty harsh. Um, and very, what I experienced as demotivating. I don't really respond well to something, somebody being like, well, you actually really suck. <laughs> like that doesn't help me at all. So, uh, I left sports of any intensity for a long time. And since then I've, I've done some other ventures, but, um, lately I've just been coming back to this concept, um, of, mental toughness and resilience and, and balancing that with self-compassion. I think when we hear self-compassion, the, the Kristen Neff, who actually kind of created coined the term, she's not ever saying like, just lay on the couch and be kind to yourself. Like maybe sometimes, but that's not normally her message, but I think it gets misconstrued to be that. So I think integrated in self-compassion, there is this kind of assumption that, that you can build the resilience that you need. Um, so when I think about it, one thing that I have been considering lately, and this is also because I love listening to podcasts, listening to mm -hmm. books. So I recently really enjoyed the episode of the ritual podcast. Not sure if you listened to that. Mm -hmm. Um, he had Steve Magnus on the, the show. He is a former running coach from Nike, but he now you know coaches, he writes, he does all these different things. And this is like a main topic. He wrote this book called do hard things. And, um, I, really loved his perspective and, and the way that he talks about this. Um, and so I think for me, as I'm thinking through self-compassion and working with that, I think the main thing is changing the, the inter, like the intrapersonal communication, changing the dialogue internally. So a lot of the time I meet with, especially women who have gotten to some place in their careers um, and they look successful from the outside, but they hate how it feels because they hate themselves the whole, the whole time. And they thought if I am more self-compassionate, I'll lose my edge. But what I've actually found is that what's more motivating is not if you don't accomplish X, you're a piece of crap, basically. Like what is more impactful is saying, I am going to work on this hard thing because I believe in myself. I think I'm worth it. I think this goal is worth it. I know that I can do the hard things that I need to do to get there. So changing that narrative, I have found to be really impactful, both for me and my own personal work and with other people that I work with. Um, so connecting more to the purpose and moving towards something versus just running from the fear of self-criticism. And the role of self-compassion in that is that self-compassion gives us the ability to be kind to ourselves and to have a level of self-acceptance when we don't meet the goal, when we um, actually, maybe we have a rigorous training program, but maybe we do need an extra day off because, you know, you fell off a curb yesterday or something, you know? Um, so just like having a little bit more space and being a little bit more aware um, and instead of having something external that's saying you have to do X, Y, and Z, it's 
more in touch with yourself and what you actually need. Totally. And I kind of tie into a bunch of things you said, but especially about like the tough coaching and whatnot at times, like we've got parents, coaches, other teammates who are not necessarily helping our progress or allowing us to be the best performers. And you have to kind of do it for yourself sometimes. And we talk about kind of shifting those negative thoughts to positive thoughts and talking to ourselves with the Enneagram for that specific application. Is it identifying where your, I guess, tendencies lie and trying to shift those areas or how are you using that with those clients to help them kind of be mentally more positive? Yeah, I think it's really, what are you believing about yourself in this moment? Um, We all have these messages that we absorb from the environment. So it could be that that message of like, I am worthless unless other people see me as valuable. So I'm going to perform, 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 perform so that they will see me that way. And if they don't, then I don't know what to do with myself. Um, So it could be changing that underlying narrative. It could be um, if I let my team down, everyone will hate me and, you know, I'll be alienated. It could be changing that messaging. Um, So it's really getting down to those root ideas and helping people to see those differently. And I think in a lot of ways, the inner critic piece can be a symptom. Um, It's not necessarily the cause of the challenge. Totally. And then kind of with your just experience in sports and having worked with so many people, do you find that athletes fall into more specific types than others? Or is it pretty broad? I'd say overall, it's pretty broad. I've seen people, for example, who are like, so for example, type five is one of the types that is in the head triad. So it's um, each of the Enneagram types is in a center of intelligence. It doesn't mean that those types don't have other intelligence. We all have all three, but there's one that they really rely on the most. And type five is a head type. A lot of fives will say things like, Sometimes I feel like my body is just a a stand to place my brain on essentially, you know, where it's like, they, they kind of disregard it, but I've, I've met type fives who are very talented in sports. And a lot of the time it's that they're learning all the deep nuances of their sport. Maybe it's powerlifting and they understand all of the different molecules in the muscles, or they understand all the different molecules in the food that they're eating. So they're really thinking about things from that perspective. And that really informs and motivates the way that they move forward. So I wouldn't say that there are specific types that do well in sports versus others, but I do think two things. I I think that, um, team sports, I think are developmentally really impactful. And in my work with teams, I actually find that the people who thrive in teams are people who played team sports. Um, because people who didn't like, sometimes I'm like, you can tell that they have never (laughs) had to work with somebody else before. Um, even honestly, I'll say even something like marching band that is categorized as a team sport to me, because you are having to coordinate with other people around you, um, just for that application in particular. So team sports are really impactful, really important. And I also find that there can be this anomaly sometimes when we think about athletes, like people who retire and then they go on and do like these incredible, amazing things. And I don't think it's because, um, that they just are special in some way. I think that they've built the skills of the resilience that they need to be able to get through hard things and figure it out as they go. Um, and I think any type has the capability to do that. 
Totally. And then just for our listeners who can learn more about it, um, where should they go in terms of find, other than finding their type, are there resources that you would direct them towards for learning more about their type? Yeah. So I actually have a self-typing guide. It's a totally free. Um, but it also walks you through my steps for finding your type. So I have five steps as part of that process. And so in, so you get the guide, it's a download, and then you get emails sent to you, you know, um, in a series and throughout that process, you'll get links to, to websites that I recommend reading. Um, you get links to podcasts I recommend listening to. Um, and, and those are really kind of the best places to learn. I find that learning from the type themselves is often really impactful. So whether that's looking for panels, um, Enneagram panels on YouTube, or it's looking for, um, podcast interviews in your podcast app, that can be really, really helpful. Um, I'm also happy to, to share a couple links with you. So one, just to give people, if you want to type it in really quick, um, the Enneagram at work is a website that I really like. I think that they have a really great info and then CP Enneagram. Um, both of those are, are great resources, great places to learn more about the types. Um, and I think in general, keep in mind that, um, you probably will resonate more with the, the negative sides or the weaknesses of your type. Um, but there are so many strengths to all the types and none of them are better than the others. Once you find your type, unless you're a seven, you'll probably think I'm the worst type, <laughs> but you're not, there are no worst types. Um, it's all just a learning process. And I have almost like a sense of excitement for people who are just discovering this because it's so cool to learn about yourself. And to be able to take those things into everything you do, like sports as well. Totally. And then kind of just a quick rapid fire sort of questions for you. Um, so you played basketball. Mm -hmm. Did you play any other sports growing up? No, I, basketball. I, so I did shot put in discus. Okay. Um, heads up. If you're maybe a teenager out there, you're thinking about doing shot put and you also play basketball. Don't do it. <laughs> it's not a good <laughs> idea. Um, it really messes up your form in terms of shooting. I was like a 100% free throw shooter. And then I did shot put and I was like, Hmm, what is happening? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I also, I went, I happened to go to a high school that literally you, you could only do one elective okay, or else you wouldn't graduate on time. Oh my gosh. So. Favorite halftime snack. Oh, Anger and punching the lockers. Just kidding. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I don't, I feel like basketball doesn't have the same culture of halftime snacks that like soccer does. Okay. That makes sense. Um, biggest role model growing up. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I think I always loved, you know, I grew up in the nineties, so I always loved watching the U S women's soccer team, um, not basketball, but, um, I just loved watching them. They were incredible. Like my sisters and I, we, we would go out and we'd run and, you know, mimic what they were doing and everything. So, um, yeah, I feel like Mia Hamm, Brandy Chastain, like watching them play, I think was always just so inspiring. Yeah, they're definitely kind of what we started our organization off of just because they are related to um, such change makers in sport and kind of big names like that. Um, something you wish you could tell your younger self as an athlete. Hmm. 
be bad at it. Be really bad. Like, because here, here's a fun fact. So my neighbors played softball, baseball, whatever. Um, and so they invited my husband and I to come play softball. Now, let me tell you, I struck out in T-ball in the fifth grade and I was like, I'm never touching a bat again. <laughs> okay. So then 20 plus years later, here I am. And I'm like, sure, I'll do it for the fun of it. This is a great growth path for my specific type is being bad at things. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've missed so many things. So many, so many opportunities along the way. Like I suck at softball still. I've been playing for a few months and I expect myself to be like at the same level of people who've played for years, but building the IQ for the game, it just, for me, I think that is maybe the part that comes first, but I think it just takes a lot longer than we expect, like knowing how to move on the field and all those sorts of things. Um, but I think I wish I could just tell myself, like, you're going to suck at some stuff. And like, that's part of the process. And so be okay with that and let yourself grow into it and learn because you are missing out on so much by only doing things that you think you're good at. I think that's invaluable advice. And I'm just going to end on that one because I think that's, <laughs> it's important. I think like young girls, they, the pipeline they feel is they need to play in college. They need to play professionally. And if they're not ready now at age 12, um, that it's not going to work out. And coaches and parents are kind of in that same bucket, which we have to keep reminding people, this is a, a journey and a process. Yeah. And you never know. I think some, you know, when I was a freshman in, in high school, I was the only person on my team that had ever played basketball before. Wow. Yeah. So of course there were it, their own challenges with that, but also, you know, by seeing junior, senior year, I actually got injured really bad. So I, I wasn't able to play senior year, but those same people, like they were running the show, right? So like you can grow and you can change. And just because you're not amazing at it at 12 doesn't mean that you won't get there. Totally. And then we'll put it in the show notes, but where can people find more about you and the work that you do? Yeah. Come hang out with me on Instagram at nine types co. Um, it's all spelled out. Some people call it 90 pesco. So that's like a little fun, uh, <laughs> little fun tidbit. You can also find my website. I have a lot of blogs there and, and different resources, books that I love books. I've read, um, at nine types.co. Um, so no www, it's just nine types.co and also come listen to my podcast. So I have a podcast too. It's called Enneagram in real life. And I interview so far, a lot of people like coaches and therapists who talk about how they found their Enneagram type, what they've learned about themselves through the Enneagram. These are like fantastic conversations and I just want everyone to hear them. Well, awesome. Thank you Steph so much for joining us and we're excited for everyone to listen. Of course. Thanks so much.